what's going on, everybody? It is Monday at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. My name is Andre Anderson. I'm both host and founder of BSTL. And what does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something That Lasts. So I hope you're doing well. Of course, we are well into the fall season, and uh, I like this weather, so I can't keep saying it over and over. You're going to get annoyed with me. Uh, especially for those of you that like the summer months. Good for you. I like the fall, okay? <laughs> Don't be mad. So anyways, I want to jump right into our uh, conversation. I think we have a good one that we're going to have uh, today. Um, and I, I call this one surprise. Um, surprise! Yeah, surprise. Um, and of course, this one uh, that we're going to focus on today is talking about difficult conversations that leadership must have. We call them surprises. So anyways, let me start off with this story. Um, true story, by the way. Um, many, many, many years ago, um, when I was uh, a young man, like not even teenage uh, years yet, uh, my parents uh, decided to uh, play the funniest uh, trick on me. Uh, back then, I didn't see the humor behind it, but now that I'm a little bit older, uh, I can appreciate what they were trying to do. Uh, so, you know, uh, when you are the baby of the family at times, you can be a little bit bratty. I, I own it. Uh, you may not have to own it. I'm going to own it on behalf of all last-born uh, children. So anyways, what happens is, is that uh, my parents pretend like they're really going to scale down on uh, my birthday. I'm a July baby. Uh, so if you want to uh, do something nice for me next year, send me a message and I'll tell you uh, where we can meet up so you can do something really, really nice for your uh, favorite guy here on the internet. They really downplay um, my birthday and they don't say anything about it. As a matter of fact, um, because it happens on a Saturday, they almost make it seem as though it's non-existent. So I should tell you the reason why this Saturday birthday thing would be uh, very significant is because uh, I am a Sabbath keeper, uh, which means that my day for uh, corporate worship, it happens on a Saturday, every Saturday. So they really play this thing down. Um, they don't say anything about it. Uh, they don't give any clues, uh, nothing. Uh, we go to church. They, you know, they say the regular happy birthday. We have a regular birthday lunch. We go back in the evening. We have some, you know, Saturday programming that we do. And on the way home, um, my father, my parents, we always would stop at this place called Eglinton West. And big up to Eglinton West. Uh, that place is and was incredible as kids. Uh, that's where we would stop to get a nice uh, cola champagne drink uh, with a patty and cocoa bread. And if you don't know, you need to ask somebody. Uh, nothing hits the spot after a long day uh, better than a patty and cocoa bread. So... Anyways, we are driving home, and I just can't take it anymore, so I'm just going to ask, I'm like, so we're not doing anything for my birthday? And that's how you know that you're a brat, right? Because you're going to ask your parents, uh, so what's going on with this <laughs> this birthday thing? So anyways, um, they're like, well, you know, because it fell on the Sabbath, there's not much that we could do about it. Uh, next year, we'll try and do something a little bit bigger. Uh, but what I don't realize is because I don't have a concept of time because I'm so young, I don't realize how they've literally been taking so long for us to like leave church and stop to get this patty and cocoa bread. My dad is taking the long way home 
and uh, when we get home, I am almost fit to be tied. Uh, that's a phrase uh, that my mom uses. I don't know. I think my grandfather used to do some farm work. And um, I am fit to be tied. I get home and I go downstairs into the basement and I am just talking underneath my breath like, da, 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 I can't believe. And, you know, I'm, I'm not crazy because, you know, as a, a child of West Indian parents, no matter what you're feeling, you better just make sure that they don't hear what you're saying. So I go downstairs into the basement uh, where the TV is. I'm going to watch some TV and, you know, have a, a glass of milk to drink my sorrows away. And as I flick on the light, surprise! Oh my goodness, all of my friends are at this thing, uh, but I'm behaving badly. Um, I am not prepared to see them. I've got tears running down my eyes and boom, we're, we're at my, my parents' home and we're having this surprise birthday party. And look, we had a great time, um, but I learned out of that, I don't really like surprises. And that wasn't like a trigger, so there's no childhood trauma around this birthday thing. But definitely, I learned in that moment, look, if you're going to have a party for me, just tell me. I can show up and pretend to be surprised, but I'm not really the surprise guy. And of course, um, this is the bridge into another conversation because here at BSTL, we are building something that lasts and we're having conversations about all things leadership. So of course, like this birthday party, I liken it unto these difficult conversations uh, that we as leaders have to have. And I don't know a leader that isn't or has not or will not um, be having a difficult conversation with somebody on their team. It doesn't matter where you're working, it doesn't matter what capacity you're in, as long as you are a leader, you're going to have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, whether it's because they're late or they're not performing or maybe they're overperforming. There's always going to be a great reason to have a difficult conversation with anybody or an easy conversation for that, I might add. But I want to focus on the side of the difficult conversations that we often have to have, um, whereby we may not want to have that conversation and what it looks like. So one of the th observations that I've made, and I've worked at a lot of different places, but it just seems the culture around difficult conversations um, from leadership, it, it seems as though it's one of the hardest things to do. And I don't, I don't know why, um, because the truth is, uh, when you look at a lot of the statistics, people do want you to tell them or talk with them about challenges that you may be having with them as they support you on your team. Like you can't dance around it. You can't finesse your, your way around it. Uh, the reality is people do want to have those difficult conversations and they want to know because, you know, the reality is don't wait until I show up, you know, on Friday and walk me out of the building um, because you've been thinking about how to have this difficult conversation and you don't know how to, to have it. So you're just going to cop out and take the easy way out and, you know, fire me. No, maybe that's not the way. Maybe that's not the best way. Um, but there has to be a better way. So let's go ahead and have the conversation now. So what generally happens is uh, most people that do have the seats of influential and, and power or at least perceived power... I don't know that we've done well with preparing those individuals on how to have difficult conversations. So it, it generally looks like this, uh, and I've been in those rooms before um, in the past, like way, way past, 
um, where you're now having a conversation with a manager, a supervisor, a team lead, something's uh, going on and, uh, you know, you've already had the conversation and so you think it's done and then you come back to work the following day and there you are, somebody says, can I talk to you for a minute? And they're like, oh, let's not talk here, let's talk somewhere else and they've now put you in another room and so you're already nervous um, because you're like, where are we going? I thought we'd already, you know, resolved this yesterday or the day before or the week before. And now you're heading somewhere. Um, and as you walk into the room, you realize that, you know, this manager, this whatever their 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 uh, position of leadership is, uh, they've now got you in this room with multiple individuals that you did not know you were going to have this conversation with. And I think that that's got to be tough. Uh, let me just say this. It's got to be difficult uh, for individuals that have to have those kinds of conversations. And let me just say this. My heart goes out to you um, because I really do believe that there has to be a different kind of way. I mean, the idea that you are employing an adult, uh, whether they are a younger adult or somebody that is closer uh, to retirement and, of course, everything in between, uh, the idea that you would need to have a difficult conversation with that individual and not allow them the opportunity to prepare themselves for whatever the talk point may be um, so that they can gather their thoughts. Like, I mean, you have to see this for what it is, right? And as leaders, I think we uh, can do a little bit better in this area. Like, think about it. You already have the positional power, the influence. You already have your own office. You already have a special swipe card uh, to get into the building. You have access to specific places that individuals on your team do not have. Uh, you have, you are privy to emails, communications, all kinds of things that are happening within the organization. And here you are, you're now going to have a surprise meeting uh, to which you haven't told the individual what you'll be talking about. Uh, you haven't prepped them. You haven't said that there's something that's coming. And so therefore, uh, they're, you know, prepared to engage you. And now you're in the room, not just with you as leader, but you're also there with other individuals who also have uh, positional power, influence over you. And you expect that that's going to be the place that you're going to have a a conversation that's going to go well? I don't think so. <laughs> I, re I really don't think so. Because at the end of the day, this is an individual who may be older than you, younger than you, more mature than you, uh, less mature than you, more experienced or less experienced than you are. And now really what you will do on that day, if you decide that you are going to bring them into what we often call uh, the principal's office and have a conversation with them, you are setting yourself up to not have a relationship with that person ever again. As a matter of fact, not just that individual, uh, if that is an individual that may be a little bit emotional or they may be a little bit chatty, even if they don't discuss all of what is uh, transpiring in the room, you are going to cost yourself perhaps an advocate or somebody who will continue to work tirelessly and hard in order to um, make sure that the work gets done. So what happens is, is that when you bring somebody in the room like that, you are actually taking away their perception of you as somebody who they can trust. 
I mean, if you would trust me or if I could trust you, then that means you would tell me, that, look, tomorrow I'm planning on having a meeting with you, with uh, this person and that person. And when you arrive, whether it's first thing in the morning or before lunch or before the end of the day, we plan on having a conversation with you. And here's what we are hoping um, for you to, you know, speak with us about. I think that that's okay. I mean, because nobody likes to be blindsided. And I think that sometimes when we have positions of leadership and authority, we forget that it is dehumanizing uh, to blindside somebody um, just because you can. And let me also say this. I am pretty sure, I'm, I'm also tracking, I'm, I'm thinking back in my own box um, whether or not I've done this before. And I'm certain that I probably have. Um, but throughout the years, I've grown and I've thought about things and I process things because it's not just, you know, the idea that we have to deal with this because this is what's best uh, for the organization. Remember, we've been talking through these podcasts um, for quite some time about different things. And we understand that the organization, as important as it is, because it gives employment, it gives meaning to life, it allows somebody to have a purpose to which they are fulfilling uh, through the work that they are doing. But at the same time, the organization is not necessarily more important than the individual that now has to sit there and go through a conversation about something that they are ill-equipped uh, to talk about. Now, here's the other thing. We also make the assumption that because we're having the conversation and we are holding uh, the individual that is outnumbered in this space accountable, the assumption is that because we are the ones leading these kinds of meetings and conversations, uh, that we are not to some degree responsible for this meeting that we're having, but maybe it's just easier uh, to deal with the person that is lower on the totem pole than to acknowledge that there may be some other uh, systemic issues that are happening, uh, which has brought us to this point. I mean, like the reality is, could an employee that has no perceived or positional power, uh, can they call in the boss? Can they call in the VP? Can they call in the executive, whatever? Can they call anybody and say, you know what, I know that you have meetings today and I know that you've got to do this and that and the other, um, but I'd like to talk to you right now. And could they call you into a room? <laughs> like, seriously, think about this, the optics of this. Could they call you into a room with other employees that have an ax to grind and a grievance with whomever it may be? Could they sit you down and basically say, all right, without you being prepared, this is what I want to talk to you about and have the expectation that you're going to answer those questions right away. Now, look, I want to also make sure that I'm being clear because uh, I don't want to be the one that is responsible for creating this military coup um, from employees all over the world that think now that they can call, you know, somebody into the office and just call for a meeting. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am trying to create a level of awareness, a, a level of awareness, because here's the thing. Um, anybody that has worked anywhere for a long time, you will know that it is possible to start grassroots and work your way up and one day be the individual that is responsible uh, for an individual that has not necessarily dealt well with you uh, throughout the course or journey of your entire life. And here's the thing. This is, I think, also one of the reasons why at times 
we are so careful in how we uh, promote and we we move people up the ladder, whatever the ladder means or whatever that means to you. I think you understand the point. Um, because the truth is, if individuals have not gotten rid of their perception or if they still have an axe to grind, they may, uh, in essence, do the exact same thing to you as you have done to them. And of course, you know, I like the Bible. So, you know, of course, one of the famous phrases are do unto others as you would have them uh, do unto you. And really, I'm, I'm challenging this idea that somehow because of the positional leadership that we often occupy, uh, that it allows us to do some things that really are not good looks. Um, you know, I, I say to myself, if you are going to have a conversation with somebody that you perceive as having value to your organization, why wouldn't you want them to come prepared uh, to refute any, if not all, of the concerns that you may have about the work or the quality of work or the lack thereof work um, that you perceive them as not happen, um, having? Because here's the thing, I think that um, some of these surprise meetings would look a whole lot different um, if people were able to prepare themselves and go into the room knowing what it would be um, that you are expecting them to talk about, I think it would look a whole lot different. You know, like when somebody comes into a room and they are not prepared, they don't have notes, they don't have facts, they don't have emails, they don't have anything that is going to help them or at least help the organization um, to, 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 to be able to understand what is it, you know, why is it that I may or may not have done this or that, or what is it as to why uh, we've gotten to this place, this working relationship, or this, or the lack thereof. And I hope you're hearing me, right? Because this is not um, uh, a moment to chat, chastise and to make any leader that has done this or continues to do this to, to, to feel bad. No, my intention is not that, but my intention is to call a level of awareness because here's the other thing, and maybe this is point number two. Like I said earlier in the conversation, when people go back to uh, the room, go back to their cubicles, go back to wherever the spaces are of influences uh, that they belong to, here's what happens. And we know that this happens, right? As leaders, we know this. Somebody is going to say, are you in trouble? <laughs> and usually they're sipping on a Coca-Cola or a Sprite or some kind of water beverage, some kind of li liquid beverage, or they've got some kind of snack. So as they're asking you what happened in that room, the blinds were down and normally so-and-so was not in the meeting. And because they were there, you know that it has to be something. Look, what they're doing is they're not just trying to get a sense of what happened in the room. They're also trying to get a sense of how does the organization treat individuals when they may or may not necessarily be in their good books. So how do you deal with me when I'm not your top employee, when I'm not producing at the level uh, to which you require me to be at? Like all of those things are the questions that people will have once you have left that room. And here's the thing, you might think that you are dealing with just the individual, 
You might think that you're just dealing with this as a one-time thing as you've tried to reassure them that everything is okay and whatever. But the reality is, after that meeting is done, to the individual that has been called to the room, they'll never forget that meeting. And uh, furthermore, if that meeting, when it happened to somebody else, after a while they either uh, quit or they chose to be moved to another space, another department under different leadership, uh, there is a culture that will be created around, look, when you get called into the room for whatever it may be, look, that may be the beginning to the end of who you are. And so here's the thing, you might get people as a result of those conversations to work a little bit harder, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've gotten them to invest in themselves and do better in the work that they are doing because they are now operating from a place of fear versus productivity. And I hope you're hearing what I'm saying, right? Because again, this is you know a space for conversations around leadership. And really what I'm saying is, is that as we lead these difficult conversations, these surprise moments, here's what happens. You may get more out of that meeting than you anticipated. And here's the other thing, because you may not get a sense or have a sense of the person that you are blindsiding by these surprise meetings, what if they've got some other things that they are ha um, happening in their lives um, simultaneously? And because you have caught them off guard and life is catching them off guard, what happens when you've got layers of different things that are occurring to that uh, particular person all at the same time? Then the truth is you may not even have the conversation that you are expecting to have. Right. So just as leaders, as we want to be prepared for all meetings because we never want to be blindsided, I think that we also have to extend that same courtesy uh, to other individuals when you are, um, you know, dealing with them. And then maybe here's the other thing. And look, feel free to disagree with me. I'm OK with that as well. Um, but what happens if these surprise meetings are also an, an extension of our own personal uh, insecurities. So let me explain it, right? So what happens if the reason why we like to um, have these surprise meetings is because we often leave those meetings feeling really smart and really intelligent about ourselves because we've now been able to have one up on a person because we've had three or four days to plan for this meeting and they have not. And so we walk out now with the, the gauntlet, with the trophy, with the congratulations, the personal best, right? All of these things. But at the cost of killing somebody who didn't know that this was coming, and if they had more time to prepare, they would have been able to respond to you and ultimately change how that meeting went. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, last but not least, how do you fix the feeling of being now undervalued because of this meeting that wasn't thought about beyond the actual meeting itself? Because I think part of what I notice and what I know and what I understand and what I'm reading, people feel valued not just based on the output that they're able to provide um, within the organization, um, but people do feel valued based on how you deal with them in times of crisis, in times of difficult uh, conversations. And when they feel valued,
valued because they know that you have done your best uh, to not blindside them and not put them in a space where they um, are made to feel a little bit belittled, whatever that looks like, then ultimately, if you don't do it right, you're going to create a wave. And the thing about the wave that I've learned as somebody that has had an opportunity to uh, swim in various seas around the world, sometimes the wave that hits you first, you might think that that's the wave. And if you can get past that first wave, you'll be all right with the other waves to come. Um, but here's what I've discovered. That first wave, no matter how big it is, no matter what it does, no matter what it displaces, no matter how it crashes against you, generally that wave is followed by another wave. And even if that, uh, you know, the next wave that comes is not big as big as the initial wave, the residual waves, those are the stuff that you can't plan for. Uh, those are the stuff that you can't necessarily anticipate. And when you as a leader, <clears throat> when we as leaders find ourselves blindsiding people, you may think that you're dealing with the issue that you've now brought that employee, employee, employee in uh, to discuss, but you may have created something else that there's no turning back from. And so I don't know, maybe what I'm saying today is, why not just tell them what you want to talk about? and leave some room for them to be able to be prepared based on what it is. Maybe surprises are good for birthday parties, for farewells, for welcomes, but maybe in the midst um, of being employed and not being employed, maybe we've got to do things a little bit different. Maybe we've got to start by telling people what it is that we want to talk about so that even if we believe that we have a reason, a good reason to speak with somebody about something, let's give them an opportunity to refute what it is that you may have to say. Because from your angle, depending on how uh, near or far you are within the work process, you may think you're onto something, but maybe as leaders, sometimes we may be absolutely wrong. Maybe we may do more harm than good by not being more transparent. And of course, I had this conversation with Chetty the other day, and we had a great conversation. And the reality is, I don't know why uh, this transparency thing isn't um, the ingredient. Like, I don't know why it doesn't, I don't know why it is that we have transparency as a secret ingredient. I feel like it needs to become the main ingredient. I think that the more that we are transparent and the more we share and the more we do things and the less political we may be and the less uh, strategizing that we do um, behind closed doors or in preparation to reprimand and have the difficult conversations, I think the less we do that is the more we will develop trust. And the more we develop trust, here's what I've learned. People will hear what you're saying, even if your delivery isn't the best, because they know that you're not against them. They know that you are for them. And if you are for them, then why wouldn't they take constructive criticism? Because the goal is not to diminish you or devalue you or trample you. The goal is to do what is best for the individual and the organization all at the same time. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation, and if you want to talk a little bit more about this, you know how to find me. It's bstlinc21 at gmail.com. 
And look, let me just say this to those of us, you that are listening, uh, this work of leadership, it is a work of a lifetime. We'll never finish it and we will never uh, completely get it right. But I think if we continue to talk this way and engage this way and have open dialogue this way, there's no way we won't grow. And everything that is alive will continue to grow. But if we pretend that it's not there, then we may continue shooting ourselves in the foot. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Because this is a conversation worth having, regardless of where you work. Take care. Until next time, Andre.